You're listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. The Hero of the Story helps you study and teach the story of redemption from all Scripture. Now join your hosts, Aaron Armstrong and Brian Dembozik. Hey there, I'm Aaron, and welcome to a special best of episode of The Hero of the Story. As we gear up for season two, we're representing some of our favorite conversations from the first season. Today, we're sharing our conversation with Andrew Peterson on the gospel and art. Listen as we discuss the relationship between the gospel and art, the danger of having an unbalanced view of either, and how it all works together with our identity in Christ. What I've seen certainly is that there's this, um, there tends to be a complex relationship there where um, we don't always know how best, like, how should our faith interact with art and you know at what point like does you know if i'm doing something does it have to be overtly christian all the time and if if not is that okay and you know and mm-hmm. and that extends so far into our lives not just in what we make but in in even what we enjoy as well sure so um so you know little topic yeah. easy stuff <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah i I, I'm trying to think how I could even respond to that, except yeah. to say that I, as a kid who grew up in the church, my dad was a pastor, just retired a few years ago, um, in the South, in the Bible Belt. So I can't speak for every church culture, but the one that I was in, it wasn't like the arts were discouraged. There, it was fine. Um, and one of the things I love, like I don't, I haven't watched American Idol in years, but I, I remember noticing back in the year, a couple of seasons that I watched, mm-hmm. how cool it was that so many of the really good singers, when they would say, where did you learn to sing? They would say the church. Yep. Like that, And it kind of made me go, yes, the church is uh, for the life of the world. It is actually like producing really great, talented people. Um, and, you know, depending on which church culture you're talking about. But so this is not me bashing the church. I think mm-hmm. the church is a great place for, like, for example, we go to a little church here in Nashville where uh, my daughter, when she was, I think, 12, was allowed to help the song leader lead songs. Would never happen at a big church. Yeah. But but what an amazing gift that my little girl, who had a, some proficiency at music, was um, able to test the waters in a really safe and gospel-infused environment, you know? Yeah. Like, so it's almost, it's like the Lord has set us up to encourage the arts kind of by default in the church, just by the fact that singing is obviously such a part of it, that um, poetry is such a part of the of scripture and the Psalms and uh, storytelling. Jesus is, you know, wrote quote unquote fiction with the parables, you know? Yeah. And so like, I think though, the, 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 at least in the culture that I grew up in, there was, a, there was this weird um, divide between sacred and secular that yeah. that's where it got complicated for me. It was like, um, at what point, and it's a moving target, but at what point is this is this uh, okay in the confines of the church? And at what point is this just some side thing that you're doing? And um, that was the paradigm that I had. So because of the fact that I didn't like any of the Christian art that I grew up experiencing, it never even crossed my mind to want to go into the ministry, to want to use the gifts that I had been given for the ministry because I, I didn't think I was allowed to. And so... Um, I think it's a good conversation, to, yeah, just to yeah. kind of help the church see that there is a place at the table for for the kid who reads sci-fi. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean? historically, as you're saying, Andrew, historically, and I grew up in the church as well at the same kind of of what I would call a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. That there's the the sacred, and then there's the secular, and there's a sharp chasm between them. Now, of course, we know there are some things that are sure. are secular and, and ungodly. Of course, we're not talking about that, right? But, but no, if it, there's Christian music, and that clearly has to talk about Jesus or whatever, mm-hmm. and then if anything else, 
it's not really worship. It's not Christian. Right. It's not you know. It's just on the side, and and that sharp dichotomy, you know, I think caused a lot of people, a lot of Christian art, as you just intimated, and I'll say it as well. A lot of it was just bad. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I just worry that that for a while there, and I'm glad to see that that it seems like this is changing. I'd love to hear your input on it. But it seems like the the connotation was, well, we just give God second best in terms of our art, you mm-hmm. know, or you know, it's not as important. Um, maybe the heart behind it's mm-hmm. important, but if the quality's not up to par, if we can't compete with right. what's coming out of of other places, you know, it's okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, I uh, you know, and the thing is like. It's it's not like it, art is the main thing that's wrong with the church or <laughs> anything like like I think that we can make too big of a deal of it. So and in mean and what I mean by that is that uh, you know to to a, you, we've all probably experienced like the thing where it's like something is so artistic and vague as a matter means of self expression yeah. that it then becomes kind of not helpful. And one of the things that I explore in the book is and I, and I. I'm not totally ready to talk about this yet, but I can I can maybe mention it. But the the idea that you know when I first came to Nashville, there was what was in she, what was she, cool at the time was to say, well, I'm not a Christian songwriter. I'm a songwriter who's a Christian. Mm. Yes. And that language, there is some, some that, yeah. that I get that there's like okay, there is a difference between the way we think about things. That's fine. But th- it seems to me like uh, when it comes to music, there is a kind of Christian art. It's like Madeline Langle in this book, Walking on Water, which I think every Christian artist should read. It's it's a fantastic book. One of the early ones that I read that helped me get my head around what it meant to be a Christian who was uh, trying to find a career in the arts. And uh, one of the things she says is that um, if it's a, if it's bad art, then it's not Christian no matter who made it. Mm. And if it's good art, then it is Christian no matter who made it. And I think she's kind of overstating the point a little yeah. bit there like because it seems to me that there really is a kind of art, and I would, I would put Rich Mullins in this category. Like... Um, Rich was as good a songwriter, I would argue, as Paul Simon or Bob Dylan. Like, I think that he was just as talented, but his calling was to try to express the explicit gospel as beautifully as he possibly could. Mm-hmm. So he was actually meant, he actually meant to tell, uh, to make the gospel known in, so- in many of his songs, not all of his songs. Whereas there are other Christians that I know of who are solid believers who are called to a different kind of art, yeah. and their job is to try to just tell the truth as beautifully as as they can and maybe the gospel doesn't show up but they're sowing seeds for the gospel Mm -hmm. and so and i think that both of those are very valid but we have to admit that there is a difference difference, and so um so for myself i came to terms with that years ago because i used to want to be the cool guy who you know like for example um i went to i saw paul simon's um last tour it it came through nashville a few weeks ago and as a songwriter of course you have to pay attention to guys like that like uh i I think he's amazing and went to the show and and i had this like uh this it it wasn't a new thought because when i'd seen james taylor or other bands that i like i would always sit in the audience going what would it have been like if i had chosen Mm -hmm. to uh to try to just be a mainstream songwriter as a Christian, what, what, would I be able to play, you know, these size of the, the arenas? Would I be able to do this kind of stuff? And so I was watching Paul Simon, and at the end of his show, he had this, like, <laughs> montage of his life going behind him, and it was really staggering. It was like, wow, he's written some amazing songs. And then the next day, I had a show in Colorado at, at Glen Erie, and um, there was about 150 people in the room. And, uh, and I was playing the show, and I was thinking what a stark difference it was and how utterly thankful i was i was like and and if it's okay that i keep going off this is a podcast but the uh i had just the the, the, i love the way the lord like there's this uh 
coincidence that kind of happens. But I was reading The Lord of the Rings at the time. And the day before I'd seen the Paul Simon show, I had read the passage in Lord of the Rings when um, Samwise thinks that Frodo has been killed by the spider, you know, mm-hmm. Shelob, yeah. and he takes the ring for a little while. And so Sam is carrying the ring into Mordor for the first time, and, and the ring begins to tempt him. And mm-hmm. it, Tolkien tells us that his mind begins to fill with images of himself as a like great commander of armies. A little Samwise, you know, yeah. and that that because he's a gardener, he looks out at all the wasteland of Mordor, and he says, with a sweep of his hand, he would plant gardens and vineyards throughout the whole land. And then Tolkien says, his hobbit sense returned to him, and he realized he remembered his little farm and his little garden back in the Shire, and he realized that all he wanted was to take care of the garden that he'd been given, and that he didn't want to command other people's hands, only his own. And I read that passage, and and it came to mind the night that I was playing. I was like, oh Lord, like I don't wow. want to be, I don't want Paul Simon's life. I want to tend the garden that you have given me. And and right now, that's usually playing songs in the church and trying to tell, like, wake people up who have grown, whose ears have maybe grown dull to the beauty of the gospel, to try to help them see that it's beautiful again. And so, um, so all that to say that, like, I had to come to terms with, like, no, I'm actually not just a songwriter who is a Christian. I'm a Christian who feels called to write songs for the church, mm-hmm. um, yeah. to encourage people who speak this kind of language. So that that brings with it, a, like, a whole different kind of philosophy of what it means to be a writer. Like, um, somebody said one time, um, they were criticizing Christian art, and they said, uh, sorry, they were criticizing Christian art, and they said that... Um, uh, yeah, we don't really understand the kind of any kind of art where it's like as soon as you start it, everybody knows the beginning, middle, and end already. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. And then the, the whole idea that art is supposed to raise questions, not answers. People talk about this, and and as a Christian, like I think you're kind of like riding this line between the two. It's like mm-hmm. um, Michelangelo painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Well, that was Michelangelo, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so like, and if not, it is now. And it, it was, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> so right, exactly, right. <laughs> I just got right. scared. I was like, wait, was that Da Vinci? No, <laughs> yes. it was nothing. But like, for for him to say that, like, uh, well, it's not valid art because it's telling the story of creation. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work, right? And so it just depends on calling. And I think that um, for myself and for a lot of us, you guys listening, like, I just want to validate the idea that, like, if you if you set out to tell your story and to try to like express the gospel as beautifully as you can explicitly if you want to, it doesn't make it any less artistic. There are a lot of people who are listening to the podcast who may not consider themselves artists, but a lot of pastors, teachers who are, are faithfully trying to serve. And, and the story you just told about the concert and, and reading Lord of the Rings, I think is something that I hope has reverberated deeply in the hearts hmm. of people listening. Because I know from my past of, of serving in church ministry, there's always that appeal of the bigger church, the bigger audience, the bigger, smaller. I mean, you name it, more more influence. Um, if only I could write a book and, and, and have influence that way. And, and I think it's just a really wise um, lesson that God in his kindness reminded yeah. you of. Yeah. Of, man, no, steward well that garden I've given you. Yeah. Um, and, he, and be content there. Man, I, what, right. the one nuance to that story, just to interject really quick, that I was fascinated by, like Tolkien, like... You guys who are out there, and if you haven't read The Lord of the Rings, get thee busy. You, you have to read it. It's just so good. It's so yeah. rich and like dripping with truth. But the moment in that story that I, was, that I loved that caught me off guard was when Samwise looks out and he sees the wasteland of Mordor and he said he wants to make it a garden. Yeah. So he wanted a good thing. It's a noble, yeah. He wanted yeah. a good thing, but it wasn't his thing to yeah. do, right? And so like if... Uh, 
like to do a quote unquote good thing that isn't yours to do maybe isn't a good thing, right? Exactly. So, so for the uh, for me to kind of say like, man, but but you know, my songs, if if more people knew them, it could do all of these other things, and right. it could make a garden out of the wasteland. And it's like, but no, that is just that isn't the lot that the portion that yeah. I've given you. And so, yeah. uh, so for pastors especially, yeah. I think but, and, and the reminder yeah. again, we're uh, um, I'll get us back on the conversation in a second, but just feel compelled to say this as well. As we know in Scripture, you know, to the pastor especially, God has more to say about you as a father and a husband than He does a pastor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And the faithfulness in the home is the measure of your faithfulness to Him. That I think is is just a reminder. And again, in God's kindness, He has reminded us of what is what matters most. Hmm. Um, and so I, I just, I'm sorry again. I've, Derail this a little bit, Aaron, but I just really appreciated hearing that and just thought that that it may be something that that we want to just kind of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that is a huge piece of, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian who does creative work, right? Is that um, if we don't have the right perspective and I, and I really appreciate the fact that the way that you've expressed it, that for you, you are a Christian who does this. That is significant in and of itself because it's a reminder of what is our identity. So the identity of a Christian songwriter is collapsing two things together. It's um, it's essentially it's a way of taking your job, quote unquote, and making that who you are in the same way that saying I'm a songwriter who you know, is also this mm-hmm. does the same thing on the other side. That's why um, we need to be really careful about how we identify ourselves, because True. if we are in Christ, that is who we are first and foremost. And so everything else. So and everything else kind of works itself out from there. Yeah. So um, that's a great that was a great roundabout way of working on the relationship between faith and art, actually, actually in a, which was going to be our, our first question. And so we kind of got there. Um, and so um, although we've touched on elements of this, um, let's let's dig into this a little bit more and, and think about what is it that can happen to us when we have an imbalanced view of how our our faith as believers interacts with our art and vice versa? Well, I'm trying to understand what it, what an imbalanced view of that would look like. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess an imbalanced view would be a church that said art doesn't matter, mm-hmm. uh, or it would be a bunch of artists who said the church didn't matter. Um, I, there's a book that I love called uh, called Desiring the Kingdom by James K. Smith. Do you guys know that book? I know it's that I, I do know it. It's wonderful, and. Uh, I didn't actually finish it. I, I <laughs> with a lot of Christian books, I get this the point in the first few chapters, yeah. and then I get so excited about it that I don't ever <laughs> make it back. Um, but in the first few chapters of the book, he he talks about um, how, as humans, the argument that he makes is that we're, you know, for a long time people said that what makes us human is the fact that we um, are rational. Like mm-hmm, that's the difference yeah. between us and and uh, and then you know that was like the enlightenment is like rationality is is what defines us, and then. Later, people were like, actually, that's not true. It's what you believe that shapes your life and gives direction to your life, what you believe. And that's worldview, right? Mm-hmm. And then his argument takes it a step further and says, I, I think that we're not fundamentally rational or fundamentally believing. We're fundamentally desiring creatures. Like we were made to love. Yep. And, uh, and so at the fall, of course, our ability to love the right things in the right way was broken. And so this compass 
uh, is swinging wildly. And so the world is always tugging tugging our desires all mm-hmm. over the place, right? And so um, if you add that, if that's true, and then you go to a church that has no art in it, nothing that is appealing to beauty or desire or, or showing the gospel to be a thing of great power and beauty, then our desires are going to be all, always pulled elsewhere. Yeah. And, and Smith, in the book, he, he makes this case that if you were an alien and you showed up in America and you were wondering where the temples were, you would think that the shopping malls were the temples because that's where we go to pay tribute. Like everything in a shopping mall is calculated to appeal to our desires, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Advertising is always appealing to desires. So, so separating the gospel from that tendency that we have is just silliness to me. So, um, so that, like I said earlier, like trying to like making it your work to, to make the truth as beautiful as you can tell the truth as beautifully as you can. Like, like people's compasses are being pulled all over the place. How do you make the gospel beautiful? How do you help them see the the beauty of the thing? And so that's storytelling. And that's, uh, you know, anybody who's ever been to Europe and walked into a thousand year old cathedral, like Mm -hmm. you feel like, Oh, my desire, your desires go, the compass, needle swings back to center again you remember oh th- my my attention is being pulled heavenward yeah. like i care i'm mm-hmm. remembering what's important now so i think that that's the thing that w- that mm-hmm. breaks down like so if a, if a church stops paying attention to art and everything is utilitarian but all of the people sitting in the pews are being a, their desires are being appealed to in every other way their longings their hopes their loves they walk out of the doors of the church and then all of a sudden there's an assault on this stuff mm-hmm. so how do we incorporate how do we uh, make it so the church is a place that resets those desires on what it is that they're supposed to be aimed at? Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, so, um, so I, I think it's to our uh, to the the um, detriment of the church to to start to separate that stuff out. Um, and on the other time, the hand, you can, I think you can make too much of the arts. You can yeah. get so excited about artistic expression as self-expression that self-expression is a snake eating its yeah. own tail. Yeah. Like uh, art for art's sake. To me, there's I get it. Like I get what people mean by art for art's sake, but I, I always kind of want to be like, how? What about art for love's sake? Mm. How do we love the listener? How do we love the reader? How do we love the person who's looking at the painting well? And mm-hmm. part of that may be forcing them to ask questions they don't want to ask. Part of that may be hard, like tough love. Um, but I, but I think pushing back with with uh, if you are a Christian who is called to the arts, then I think that one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is how do how do I use this thing that I'm called to make as a way of laying down my life for my neighbor or my enemy mm-hmm. or my friend. How do I, how is this a way of, of demonstrating, embodying the love of Jesus? Um, and so that's one of the things I explore in the book yeah. is that, um, that songwriting is, is a, a way of serving. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think um, on that note, I think uh, that, that just reminded me of something that's um, uh, another author, Andy Wilson has, has mentioned mentioned uh before about um how he views like how he he does his world building um when he's writing stories is he he just looks at the world that god has made Mm -hmm. because he's like he's and essentially his goal has been to say i want to show i want to help my readers see the world at for as breathtaking and awe-inspiring and interesting as it is because if it's made by because it's all made by god who is unceasingly interesting so Mm -hmm. we don't have to um go into radical forms of reinvention we Mm -hmm. need we just need to distill things down to what's here 
already. Yeah. And and that's all. And Nate's a good buddy. I love that guy. But mm-hmm. he's like a, <laughs> um, uh, he's like a, a young, intense <laughs> incarnation of G.K. Chesterton. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and Chesterton talks a lot about that yeah. idea that like you know a tree is an ama- is an amazing thing. So. Yeah. And you know that's what Lewis was doing with the Narnia books. Like yeah. he, his whole idea was like, how, if I can get rid of, uh, you know, the Sunday school quote unquote associations, which I realize where I'm saying that, uh, but <laughs> but if he could get rid of the stained glass and Sunday school associations and tell the story in a way that would remind people that it was like this thundering beautiful truth, yeah. mm-hmm. um, then could I not s- sneak past their watchful dragons? That's yeah. what he says, which is a fantastic way of putting it. That Absolutely. that art is a way of smuggling the truth past people's defenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, and then the the artist in me is like, yeah, but that's making art utilitarian, and that's where the tension is. There's this paradox yeah. between one of the ways that you can smuggle the truth is by making art that is. Um, for its own sake, that is beautiful on its own, yeah. mm-hmm. and that does a work on the soul. That so that, like for example, like the the Harry Potter books. And I, sorry, you may have to delete this whole section. No, I you're fine. fine. But I but I, I think that it's a shame that those books got demonized the way that they did. And I I get that there's people out there who still feel uncomfortable with it. I think they were wonderful, and uh, and like overtly Christian. Like whether or not she was a Christian, she was using on purpose Christian themes and imagery in those books to tell a story about resurrection and sacrificial love. Oh, like it's it's just amazing to me that that happened, right? Mm-hmm. So in my new record in um, Resurrection Letters Volume One, uh, there's a song called "His Heartbeats" that I wrote with my friend Ben Shive, and the bridge of the song is taken from Second Corinthians, I think it's Second Corinthians, maybe Romans, where it says, uh, "The last enemy to be destroyed is death." Um, and we sing it. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He must reign until no enemy is left. And it's taken like verbatim out of scripture. And uh, and that's what's written on Harry Potter's his parents' his parents' tombstone. So all of these kids who aren't believers out there who are yeah. reading mm-hmm. um, Harry Potter are the seeds are being sown for a story of resurrection. They're they're learning without knowing that they're yeah. learning that there is a great power and beauty in someone laying down his life for his mm-hmm. friends. So that I believe when later they encounter they feel a longing they feel yeah. a quickening in their pulse and later when they encounter the explicit gospel the explicit gospel resonates with this thing this that is what i've been suspected. looking for yeah. right yeah. and that's how it was for me like i was i was a pastor's kid listening to pink floyd and watching indiana jones and goonies and like looking for that thing that quickened my pulse right yeah. mm-hmm. where is the epic tale that that makes me geek out like i do when i read lord of the rings and then i sat in my old testament uh, survey class in bible college and realized that it had always been it's there, been right there, you know, just overlooked it. Yeah, and not to yeah. keep talking Chesterton, but he one of the his common illustrations illustrations is this idea that he tells us he describes his own faith journey as being like a a boy who grew up on on a mountain and dreamed of one day seeing a giant, and so he left home and he got far enough away from home and turned around and saw that the mountain he'd grown up on was the giant, and uh, and that was the picture. So. I think that that's what a lot of us are doing anyway. We're looking for some huge, beautiful thing, and then Chesterton says, no, it's actually, it's look at the world that God has made. Yeah. If you want to know what God is like, read your Bible and look at his creation. Let's hit, let's hit one more one more thing here here real quick, um, which, is, um, which is one last question. So again, you've, you've touched on this a lot um, throughout this, um, but... Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about how the gospel has has been challenging and encouraging you personally as as an artist. Mm. Um, well, it's hard to escape. Um, well, how do I how do I say this? I don't know about it as an artist. I can yeah. just talk about it as a, as a man. 
There you go. As a husband and a That's dad. That's a great way to do it. Like, I, I think that I have, the, the longer I have been on this journey, the more I've realized how screwed up I am. Um, there are certain sins that I didn't even realize were sins 15 years ago that now I realize, <clears throat> oh, wow, that's, that's what's going on here. Um, and, uh, and so that's been interesting. One of the things that I just finished a book by N.T. Wright. I can't remember the title of it, um, but it was about kind of faith and culture or whatever. And um, he, he points out the fact that um, in Acts, um, they, the church was called The Way. You remember, do you yeah, remember yeah. this? I don't even remember exactly where it was, but The Way with a capital W. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about that is that it was, um, it was, if you think about that, it implies that Christianity is um, not a destination yeah. as much as getting onto the road that is leading toward the new creation, right? And so, so it's this, it reminds me too that like become, my becoming a Christian was only the beginning of this journey, that yeah. I'm still on the way. I'm still learning and struggling. And, and uh, you know, we have this promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so, but he, I'm still somewhere between those two poles, you know? And so as a 44-year-old dad, you know, who uh, just, I mean, days ago was just like appalled by my own sin. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still thinking this way, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, oh man, I'm not going to get explicit about it, but I, I had a run in with an insurance company on the phone yesterday. And when, it, when I hung up the phone, I was like, horrified. I was like, I can't believe those are the words that came out of my mouth. So, so the, I insurance guess insurance companies and cable companies, that'll, oh, that'll man, do it to you. It's man, pretty right tricky, there. pretty yeah. tricky. Uh, but, but the thing is like, I, I, um, the nice thing is that is that one of the things that I have grown in, thank goodness, is that uh, I'm really good at beating myself up. I'm really good at like just reliving things that I'd said, you know, for days, or driving down the road, and I'll remember something I did 25 years ago, and I'll just break into a sweat and just be like, "Oh, I can't believe my." Um, but I have gotten better about um, going to the Psalms, mm-hmm. uh, uh, letting the Holy Spirit who inspired David give me words to express back to God, my own contrition, my own mm. desolation, my frustration, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and learn, kind of remembering that there is no point at which I am out, I'm not in the palm of his hand. Uh, whereas, you know, growing up in a kind of a legalistic culture, I was always afraid, always afraid that I was just a massive disappointment to God. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's just, <laughs> I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. Um, I, what I find when I read the Gospels is that Jesus was always close to the brokenhearted and kind and compassionate people who were who knew their weakness. And so I think the older that I've gotten, the more I've I've come to embrace, uh, kind of admit to myself that I am as needy as mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. And of course, that's going to bleed into the songs of that course. I'm writing. And uh, the nice thing too is that like there's a song uh, <laughs> called the Chasing Song, which was on my very first record that came out like uh, I don't know. 18, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all, it was the Bible college song. I wrote it in class in Bible college. And the whole thing was about me chasing myself and how selfish I was. And people request the song sometimes, and I just say no. I'm just so tired yeah. of talking about my own beating myself up, you know, yeah. in a three minute song. And I would much rather talk about God's goodness than my own brokenness. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, God's goodness, of course, in the context of my own brokenness is important um but anyway that's that's kind of like what we're on a, what i'm interested in now is like how do i keep using um my own story as a way of drawing attention to, not to my brokenness but to his yeah. goodness is that yeah good? okay. it does so uh that's at least where i am right now yeah. artistically 
Thanks for listening to this special best of episode of the Hero of the Story. We'll be back next week with another best of as we prepare to launch season two of the show with all new content in August. In the meantime, please leave your rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more content, please visit gospelproject.com. 